Houston cross-check right in front of Casey DeSmith, which gives Braden Shen a little bit more room to operate. Pedersen wanted the penalty call. The refs don't call it. <laughs> those, those two refs are the best in the league. I, I, I got to take a look at it, you know. You know more concerned about other stuff on that goal. 702 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Hard Rock Thursday. We're going becoming an official real, thing. Real, real liberal use of hard rock. <laughs> it's sort, it's sort of hard rock. Yeah. There beer are league, guitars. Beer league rock. Beer league Thursday. rock. Yeah. Uh, Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today, we are in hour two of the program. Luke Gazdick's going to join us in just a moment here to kick off hour two. Uh, hour two is brought to you by Primetime Craft Beer. Meticulously brewed for quality and taste, Primetime is full flavor without compromise. You can find it at a liquor store near you or visit the brewery to see how it's made. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintec. No, don't. No, it's not a question. Kintec. There you go. Uh, that was Rick Tockett that we were playing coming back from break there. I did want to throw that into our conversation earlier is that God bless talk because he knows exactly what the answer is. Every time someone asks about officiating mm-hmm. answer, number one, we have the best officials in the world. Answer number two, they have a really hard job. And then answer number three, I haven't seen it yet. I got to go back and look at the tape. Yeah. That is I'm more concerned with other stuff that we were doing. Like, that is the like not skating. And when Petey flopped on that play, <laughs> Read between the lines, are you? Maybe don't say that. But when when they give you the coaching handbook of stuff to say to the media, whenever the the chapter about officiating, those are the first three things that you say. You want to be a friend to the refs because you might need them at one point. We got the best referees in the world. They got a tough job out there. I got to go back and look at the tape. You can say that about everything. All 82 games of the regular season, however long you play in the playoffs, that's the answer. Talk gets it. Okay, let's go to the phone lines now. Uh, former NHLer, now an NHL analyst on Sportsnet, Luke Gazdick here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Luke. How are you? I'm good, guys. How are you doing today? Uh, we're good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. We appreciate it. So we know that you saw the game last night. We know that you saw the penalty or non-penalty or however we want to describe it in overtime. So we will cede the floor to you now. As a former NHLer and now an NHL analyst, what did you think of the play involving Elias Pettersson and Braden Shen on the Blues game winning goal? Oh, well, let's just say, you know what? I think it's a penalty, but I'll say that I, I don't think it should be a penalty. I, in today's NHL, that's probably a cross check. But, I mean, Petey's got to know that's Braden Shen on his back, and he's trying to get going to the net. He's trying to get inside position on the net. Like I think PD probably has to have a little more awareness there, but I- I'm probably calling that a penalty. I-, I think that's probably a cross check in today's NHL, but with the caveat that I don't love that that is a penalty. Well, uh, Alfred and I argued about that for about 20 minutes to start the show, so I don't really want to do it anymore. But especially with a guest on the show, it would be a little it's embarrassing. Not in front of the not in front of, of the guests. Air our dirty laundry here. Um, big picture wise, how surprised are you that the Canucks are at the top of the standings in both points? and points percentage they've got 69 points they're ahead of the boston bruins they're ahead of everyone in the nhl it's probably the best story in hockey for me um the job that they've done 
to kind of revitalize this team, coaching, blue line. I know Demko's healthy this year. He's been a huge part of it. But going into this year, I think, you know, the other night on TV, we got asked the question, like, who's the more surprising story for you? Is it Vancouver or Winnipeg about where they're at right now? And for me, it's Vancouver, for sure. Um, I just think of where they were and where they are now and how far they've come. and The decisions, the hard decisions that were made, you know, moving on from Horvat, giving JT Miller the money and making a couple really solid trades. I didn't even know who Philip Horonic was when they <laughs> traded for him. I remember looking at that deal and thinking I'm probably not as good of an analyst as I probably should be because I don't know anything about this player and he's turned out to be an absolute rock for them back there I don't think Big Z had a great night last night uh, but he has been Big Zadorov has been a good addition on the back end Carson Soucy like they have completely revamped that blue line and it's just been really fun to watch man like talk has set a standard he made it known early in the year the way it was going to be. I remember when he benched JT Miller after he took those three penalties, last one in the neutral zone, sat him down, said this is not acceptable. Um, obviously, he's been in and out with Kuzmenko, but he's set a standard for how he wants everyone to play, and you have to know your group if you're going to try to pull things like that. I live here in Toronto and follow the Leafs a lot, and Watch Sheldon Keefe again last night, bench his top line, um, keep them all, uh, off for a very big power play in the second period. And I don't think Sheldon has the group that responds positively to examples being made of them like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas JT goes back and they have a little powwow. He understands he's got to be better, can't take penalties, and, and goes out and scores the game winner that same night. I think Talk recognizes the group he has. I look up and down the lineup, and I don't want to make this sound bad, but I continue to think, how are they getting this done? And obviously, Thatcher's a huge part of it, but big boys have performed. They're getting, if you want to call it depth scoring, uh, I would consider that you know their third line with Joshua and Bluger and Garley are, are playing really well. And just top to bottom, guys, it's been a team that I've really enjoyed covering this year. Because I'm sitting in the studio. I, I mean, I think a lot of people don't know over there. Like we do these, like those Sportsnet hits in between periods where I break it down for about 90 seconds. I'm doing that from Toronto, so I, so I'm staying up till 10 every night to watch these games. And it was a bit of a drag last year. Not gonna lie, like there were some nights where yeah. it was just like, what is this team doing? <laughs> and now it's like, man, this is a fun team to watch. And I equate it to the Leafs. You just never know what you're gonna get every night. But with Vancouver, for the most part, I would say, last night wasn't their best, but for the most part, you know what you're getting from the Canucks every night, and and I've enjoyed covering them. Um, Their goals against average last year was 3.61, which is not good. Their goals against average this year is 2.52. Only the Winnipeg Jets have a lower goals against in an NHL where it sometimes feels like we're back to the 80s with the amount of goals that are being scored, it almost seems more important now that 
teams know structure and game management and the types of things that Talkit has been preaching. Agree or disagree? No, I would I would agree with that. I mean, they've just come some along such a long way for that. I think this is such a similar conversation as Winnipeg. I think we had the chat on TV last night. Like, is is Hellebuck the the MVP? Like, obviously, that important to his team, or is it a little bit more of how how the way they play? And it's a healthy combination of both for both teams, for the Jets and the Canucks. But they lock down. They don't give up a lot. Like they, they're not giving up a ton of chances. And when they do, Thatcher's been there to bail them out. And I know, you know, Casey probably wanted a couple of those back last night, but when Casey's had to go in there as well, he's done a job for them. And I add that to the list of trades that I remember when they made that one, I was thinking, and I, I was like, what, what is this? What are they doing? Why are they picking up Casey to Smith? And once again, I was proved wrong, but it's a healthy combination of the structure in front of them and the goaltending that's allowed them to be so successful. When you are sitting in the locker room as a player, looking around 10 minutes to go on the clock before you're about to go out there for a game and you're looking over at Thatcher and he's locked in and you know that if you score two or three goals, you have a decent chance of winning that hockey game because you're only going to give up two or three. That That's a good feeling. I mean, I've played on teams where you have no idea what your goaltender is going to give you. Uh, I went through, we did this on TV the other night in Edmonton one year, I believe it was my rookie year. We went through a league record, eight goaltenders. I think it was 10. If you include the two kids that came up and played like one game, we could not get a save to save our lives. And I love a Kevin Dubnik, one of my favorite guys off the ice. He would tell you this as well, but, he played some of his worst goaltending towards the end of his Oilers career. And you just never know what you're getting. But for these guys, they sit in the dressing room, you look around and you know that if you score a couple goals, you got a decent chance. That's a really good feeling. When you look at teams that are struggling defensively, um, let's take the Ottawa Senators, for example. I know it's let's usually... Let's take the Ottawa. Yeah. Let's do Ottawa. I love ripping Ottawa. Let's, let's go. Like that, well, oftentimes, there's a, there's a number of reasons why a team is struggling defensively, but if we can take the goalie out of the equation, and I know that's difficult to do, is it often that the players don't know how to defend properly, like they're not being prepared well enough by the coaching staff, or is it they're they're not willing to do it? Like they're not being motivated enough to defend because it's doing hard things is defending. That's a great question. Um, I, I look at a situation like Ottawa, who's the perfect question for this, and I watch their games And that's the first thought that comes to my head is this team plays with no structure. It looks like just five guys out there all doing whatever they want to do. And then when you play like that and you have the worst save percentage team save percentage in the NHL, and you're not going to get the saves past those five guys, that is the recipe for disaster. And I did not love the Jacques hire, I didn't mind them bringing him in as kind of, you know, an advisor and that, but I think they need someone there to provide some structure for them and to teach these players how to defend. They have a number of young guys and defending isn't just defensemen. 
Defending is forward defending, and they have none of that in their game. And so I didn't love, I mean, I love Steve Stales, Mike Anlauer. I think they're unbelievable people, but they preach, we need stability here, stability here. And then the first thing they do is hire an interim coach. And I played for an interim coach, and it's not the play. Mm-hmm. That is, to me, you are just throwing in the towel. And maybe they have a guy in mind that they're looking for and is not available. That's what I think. But I went to the morning skate when I was here in town, and Jock's not even on the ice for morning skate. I mean, he's just kind of, he's just kind of around. And so I think it is a healthy combination of guys not willing to do hard things, block shots, front pucks, win battles in the corner. Uh, but I also think it is a, a matter of not being taught the right way to defend and to play within structure. I look at a team like Edmonton on the positive side after that coaching change, nothing against Dave. Nixon. He just had a different philosophy of coaching, but now you give Mark Stewart a little more responsibility on the X's and O's and you bring in a guy like Paul Coffey who wants them to make plays and is teaching them how to play a little more professionally. And they have come leaps and bounds since the beginning of the season. So it's a great question, and I, I really do think it, it's a combination of both. We're speaking at former NHLer, now NHL Sportsnet analyst Luke Gazdick here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, real quick, I went back for the purposes of research and looked at the goalie situation you had that one year in Edmonton that you referenced. The goalies were as follows. Devin Dubnik, Ben Scrivens, Victor Faust, I don't remember him at all, Jason LaBarbera, Richard Bachman, the one that I couldn't believe, I totally forgot he played in Edmonton, Ilya Brzezgalov. What a what a uh, six goalie rotation you had in Edmonton that year. Okay, so so, do, so Doobie went down to Arizona then, right? And then he went to Minnesota and, and totally saved revived the day. his career. Yeah, yeah. He played like ninety yeah, straight games. Was, I think it was Nash. Was it Nashville? I thought he got traded for Matt Hendricks, but I could be wrong. I could be mixing up some trades. But yeah, we had Briz there. I'll always tell the story. Briz got an apartment. Um, right kitty corner to mine in Edmonton and he kind of found that out and was looking for buddies well he wanted to hang out with someone and I was keeping my address secret for that reason (laughs) and so he offered to drive me to the airport one morning he said guys I'm not doing the Russian accent but guys you live next door do you want me to drive to airport if anyone knows the airport in Edmonton is essentially in Red Deer, yeah. and and it's a good trick. It's a, it's about forty fifty minutes, honestly. And um, so I obliged. I said, "Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll jump in with you." And I thought, like all the universe weird kind of earthly stuff that he talked about and said, I thought that was all a shtick. And then I got in in the car and. He had a book on the seat that was like secret. I think it was literally called Secrets to the Universe. <laughs> and <laughs> I just remember thinking, I was like, what have I got myself into here? And he ends up being a really, really nice guy. He's just, he was very different. He, we talked, we didn't even say, speak hockey once. We did not talk one hockey thing. Uh, it was all just kind of life and, uh, and the world. And it was fascinating, but that was, uh, needless to say, my last trip with Briz to the airport. <laughs> well, the, the current iteration of the Edmonton Oilers, on a bit of a heater, it's now a franchise record 14-game winning streak. You played and were on the ice with McDavid and Dreisaitl. Is it hard to appreciate 
just how good and just how dominant those two can be watching it from our perspective. Like when you're on the ice, it must just kind of like take your breath away or you must be shaking your head at times to see the things that they can do, the speed they can do them at, the way they can process the game so quickly. And then ripping off very casually a 14 game winning streak in the middle of an NHL season. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, I lived with Connor too. He came in as a rookie and uh, Taylor Hall had a house in the West side of Edmonton that I lived with Taylor in and Connor came and lived with us for his rookie year. Um, and between him breaking his collarbone and, you know, me spending 30 games with a healthy scratch, we, we spent a lot of time together and he is a fascinating kid. Um, but I say this to people all the time. It's, it's getting to practice with him every day. That is the fun thing because people see, um, I don't want to say small sample size cause it's an 82 game schedule, but you just see him in games every other night and whatever, he'll play 20 minutes. I practice with him for an hour every day and he does stuff in practice that would blow your mind. And I, I feel like he let off at times too. I know he let off, let up at times. We would get kids called up from Bakersfield and stuff like that. These like six, seven D that I have to plug in and he would go 75, 80 on them. Cause I just don't think he, he, he just didn't want to make them feel so bad about themselves. And I'd be in the truck with him after I'm like, you didn't really make him lie. And he's just like, yeah, I didn't want to, I didn't want to make him real bad. But he just on a day to day basis, he's also the hardest worker and the most competitive guy. And I thought that was always the interesting thing with Leon and Connor was not only are they that skilled, um, obviously two of the top players in the world, but they push the pace in practice. Like Connor leads the charge in how he wants practice to go. And everyone else kind of just follows because you're like, if he's doing it, I got to do it too. Right. And it was a, it was a joy getting to, to do that. And then to see them after I left kind of just take over that team. And I mean, we still had a number of older veterans and leaders there and they were still both really young and kind of figuring it out. And it's been really cool and fun for me to watch both their careers progress into what it's become now. And uh, I, I truly think 14 win streak aside, like I think they're going to win in Edmonton at some point. I hope they do. Um, I I just think it's inevitable because they're so good and they can be so dominant. Um, It's just been really fun to sit back and watch it as a viewer now. Having uh, spent some time with Connor McDavid and know, knowing how, uh, what makes him tick, um, how frustrated do you think he is that he's 27 years old now He's never played in a Stanley Cup final game. He's never played in the Olympics. He's never been on the biggest stage in hockey. I know the Olympics thing really bothers him. I'm not saying the Cup doesn't, but I know how much he's wanted to play international hockey and get on, you know, a Team Canada team with with Sid and Nate and all these guys. Um, but I, I know that the Cup is is the thing that drives them. Every day, I, I mean, they got a bit of flack, or Leon did, for saying cup or bust at the beginning of the season, and then they go out and start two and nine or whatever it was and fire their coach and are in the absolute weeds. Um, but that is the goal. Like, that is center of their mind all the time. And I think it's just a matter of time. I'm not taking anything away from the Canucks this year, the next year, but there's going to be some battles with these two teams coming up here and I can't wait to see them. Um, I, I just, I think when we get down the stretch here uh, and into the playoffs, 
you're going to see those two, um, those two big boys on Edmonton turn it on. Cause I, it's just, it's the thing left for them and everything that they do in their lives and hockey lives revolves around bringing a championship back to Edmonton. And I think it's just a matter of time, but it's, uh, it's crazy that they haven't even been there yet. I think if you can't surround them with enough, uh, talent and and leadership to to get there uh there's a problem but um i i think it's just a matter of time uh is it a matter of time before pierre loop dubois does something with the los angeles kings well he scored a goal last night to be fair but he only played 11 minutes meanwhile the winnipeg jets are getting pretty good use out of the players they got from la in that trade yeah pierre luke dubois on the milk carton he has been um, not great. And I didn't love the trade at first. I didn't love the sign, the, the signing that he did at first. I, I hear he's a good kid, but I look at a guy that forced his way out of two organizations. And if that's not red flag central, I don't know what is. I will never forget that shift in Columbus, which I think was his last there ever where he essentially skated around for 45 minutes and didn't or 45 seconds sorry and didn't take a stride yeah that was tough i i look at the addition by subtraction on the Jets side and you know rasmus kupari is a decent depth guy but the the prize winners there are alex Iafalo and gabe pilardi who have been outstanding for them so you add three quality players to your roster and i just know for that jets team especially i have a a couple guys there that I'm, I'm close with and they've even said it publicly, but the public changing of leadership there, moving Wheeler out and moving PLD out who clearly didn't want to be there did a lot for their locker room. Yeah. And they've said it in interviews, but I know for a fact too, that when you remove stuff like that from your room, it allows you to just kind of grow. And I played for Todd McClellan uh, in LA, I, I played for him in Edmonton, but taught in LA and he demands, demands work ethic every day. If you don't work, you're not going to play. And I just, I saw that as a, not a great combination from the start when the trade was made. And I heard a lot of discourse saying, well, he's LA the best in the West. Now they got three huge, big centers down the middle. And I just remember thinking, I don't think this is it. I, I don't think this is the play. And um, they got him for seven more years, so they got to make something work. But it's not looking uh, too great of a, a deal for them right now. Hey, Luke, this was great, man. Thanks for taking the time to do this. We'd love to do it again if you're up for it. Anytime, boys. Give me a shout anytime. Beautiful. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. That's uh, Luke Gazdick, former NHLer, now Sportsnet NHL analyst here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Got a lot more to get into on the program. Uh, we've got an open segment coming up. So if you want to weigh in on anything... Uh, it's now confirmed as a cross-check, by the way, because I have former NHLer Luke Gazdick on my side. Of he was awesome, by the way. Yeah. I, really, I really like Luke. Although he, he also said, like, I don't know if I would have called it. He's also on your side. <laughs> uh, anyway, if you want to weigh in on anything that happened in the game last night between the St. Louis Blues and the Vancouver Canucks, 4-3 win for the Blues, 4-3 loss for the Canucks, depending on what side of the ledger you're on, weigh in. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Get some what we learns in. Hashtag them WWL. We got an open segment coming up. We got Drancer at 8. We're going to do Humanoid What We Learns at 8.30. There's a lot more to get to. We're at the midway, midway point of the show. And before we go to break, I need to tell you about the big football party 
at the Clayton Public House. Reserve your spot for the aforementioned big football party at the Clayton Public House on February 11th. It's going to be hosted by Sportsnet 650. If you want in on the action, visit theclaytonpub.com. The Clayton Public House. Good food, good people, good times. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Were you expecting a cross-checking call, or were you looking at that at all? No, I just saw a lot of guys going down pretty easy tonight. That's what I saw. Is that kind of how you felt about the uh, the Shen roll and the... That's the way I saw it. Saw some guys falling pretty easy out there. 7.33 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. No, I think it's a penalty, because screw you, Drew Bannister. Yeah, screw you. It feels like an interim head coach to me. <laughs> uh, that audio coming back from break. Some Mike Kitchen vibes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't want to be on the same side of Drew Bannister. You know what? I will say that, that was uh, St. Louis Blues, quote-unquote, head coach, Drew Bannister, following uh, his team's 4-3 win over the Vancouver Canucks in overtime yesterday, talking about, uh, I, I suppose, not just... The Elias Pettersson, Braden Shen incident, but the other cross checks that were being called, because there's three of them last night, including the goal that was waved off because Jake Neighbors cross checked. I want to say Ian Cole. That's that's who it was, right? Anyway, uh, I will say this the Blues aren't great. I'm not even sure if they're good, but they're definitely better right now. They made it hard for the Canucks last night. And they did in the other yeah. game that they beat the yeah. Canucks as well. In the first game, they didn't. They uh, no, they made it very easy. It was five nothing. Um, they are. Or do you want to do your little Joel Hofer bit now? Because we got it's a little bit of time. He played. I thought he was good last. Well, night. yeah. I just I want people to be aware that he you know to lose to him is not you're, you didn't lose to some backup. He's going to be the starter. In yeah, right. He's he's not some journeyman date. backup. He's not David Riddick or no, anything like he's that. He's one of the top yeah. goaltending prospects in the league. I yeah. did think it was a little disappointing that the Canucks weren't able to carry the play a little bit more, especially. Well, they did carry it. <laughs> in the latter half of the game, but, um, you know, St. Louis was coming off a game in Calgary the night before. That's and the kind of, yeah. rested team, and it was the Blues that jumped on the Canucks. Now, sometimes, I, I, I guess the game in some ways went completely as predicted because sometimes the, the team that played the night before still has their legs. Like, mm-hmm. they're just like, yeah, I feel like I just played, right? Yeah. Well, it's because you did, and they're sharper to start the game. Um, I don't know. It was a bit of a weird game, though, because the Blues didn't have a shot on goal for the first 10 minutes, and then, like, their first two shots went in. It was a strange game. It, it, it was a strange yeah. game, and it wasn't a particularly compelling game through two periods, and I'm sure the fans at Rogers Arena were like, oh, I hope this game picks up in the third. Now, fortunately, it did thanks to Pew Suter, um, Pew Suter has been a really nice addition to the Canucks for his versatility. Um, he was originally signed, and we all thought we all we all thought it would go like this: uh, Miller and Petey would be the top six centers, Bluger and Suter would be the bottom two centers, with Bluger most likely to be the four C and Suter most likely to be the three C. Now. It hasn't always been like that for sure because you have guys like Nils Amon and Sam Lafferty who are often who are also capable 
of playing center. Nils Amon has done it a lot on the fourth line. And having Suter, with his ability to bump to the wing, has been a nice addition because he is a smart player. And as we saw last night... He could put the puck in the net. Uh, Colin in Vancouver on that subject. He texted into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. I encourage the rest of our listeners to do the same. Colin in Vancouver wants to know, was last night Pius Suter telling the Canucks that he is the top six forward 2C deadline acquisition that they need? Uh, you know, I don't know if you're going to get more of a like an elevated role. From Suter, like I think what you're getting right now, I mean, again. I'm, I'm actually not worried about who plays with Mel- Miller and Besser. I'm worried about who plays getting the best out of Pedersen. Yeah, I, th- I still think that big game hunting is well, one. The allure of it is is great, right? I mean, everyone has the allows their head, mind to go into fantasy land. I'd like, love I'm, to see Pedersen and Getzel right, together, right? I like, could you great. imagine? Gensel riding shotgun to Pedersen going into a playoff series where the other team is looking and saying, that's a a top six that's going to be tough to deal with. Mm -hmm. Because every time they roll one of those top two lines over the boards, we've got a real chance of getting scored on. Yeah. Because they're that dynamic offensively. Mm -hmm. Um, Suter has been a really nice pickup. Really nice pickup and a real feather in the cap for the pro scouting department. Because I think you looked at his numbers in Chicago and Detroit. And you knew that there was some offensive upside there. I'm going to be dead honest. Like I didn't know a ton else about his game other than the scouting reports were. And they were all pretty this, much the same. Uh, high IQ, smart hockey player. Swiss Army knife, that sort of thing. That's he's what he's Swiss, been. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, it fits. Uh, he's, he's a good player. And I think maybe playing with the kind of high offensive upside guys that he's been able to has taken his game to another level that he maybe didn't necessarily have in Detroit and Chicago. What do we think of Big Zadorov getting stapled to the bench after he... ...strong defenseman really should be able to play. Uh, it was Toropchenko. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, just out-muscled him on the stick in front of the Canucks net, and he scored, and that was right after I believe the Canucks had made it two to one. So the Canucks get some life early in the third and that's like quickly snuffed out because Zadorov I don't know if he just fell asleep there or he legit got out muscled by another player who was a pretty big dude himself, but I thought that spoke volumes that he did not play in yeah, good, shift after good, that. I thought it was good on the coaching staff, right? If you're going to preach accountability, then it's got to be across the board. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. It makes it complicated, though. When you lose it, when you, when you drop, you intentionally drop a defenseman, yep. that puts a lot more work on the coaching staff to be like, okay, now we got to figure out, you know, combinations. And, and Taka and did kind of, kinda in the post game, defer to being it being an Adam Foot decision. Yeah, yeah. You know what I Adam mean? Adam Foot runs, yeah. Yeah, Adam so Foote he's like, he's like Footy decided to drop it to five or whatever he said. I can't remember how he said it, but yeah. that was essentially what. So this wasn't like Taka putting the onus on Adam Foot. It was I, Adam Foot making the call. I just keep wondering what they're going to do with Zadorov. Um, you know, I I like Zadorov as a player when he's playing well, but I don't know if he's the type of guy that I want to commit big money to, and especially over a long term. And that's what he's going to be looking for. Yeah, term. that's what he wanted in Calgary. Ultimately, the Flames were like, nah, and he ended up getting traded for Vancouver to Vancouver for not very much. 
Um, everyone loves a big, tough defenseman that's willing to drop the gloves and can skate late like Zadorov. Yeah. I just wonder sometimes about his, I mean, th- let's throw the cliches out there, hockey sense, hockey IQ. And that was a play like you have to make that. You have to be able to tie up the stick. You can't lose a one-on-one battle like that if your calling card is like, I'm the big, tough defenseman that wins battles. Yeah, I mean, you could be like, he made a mistake. Yep. You know, and we move on and, you know, you suffer the consequences for it. Big picture, long term, what you're talking about. I actually, again, I don't want to continuously praise the pro scouting department, but they do deserve it because it's been such a good season. Uh, the way that they acquired Zadorov, and by that I mean relatively low acquisition price, like say what you will about what was a third and a fifth, right? The, it's assets for sure, but I would say that most people that saw that trade was like, that's a relatively low price to pay for a yep. defenseman that jumps straight in. They left themselves some good flexibility here. If he ends up well, being... Well, remember, they were able to take the entire cap hit. The Leafs yes. might have paid more, but they wanted the Flames to retain, and the Flames were like, uh, we might have to retain on some other guys later in the season, so exactly. we're not going to. And there's only, a, there's only a set number of guys that you can retain on. It's three, right? Yeah. So uh, if it ends up being a one-year rental, I think everyone can live with that. The team is having... I mean, it's a historically great year for this franchise. This is one of the best regular seasons in the 50-plus years of Canucks hockey. So if you went out and acquired a rental because you needed to get through the Susie injury and you weren't solved, you weren't sure of your back end, great. No one's going to have any qualms about that because it wasn't a huge rental price. So if he mm-hmm. doesn't stick around beyond this year, if he does, then I think the Canucks can maybe hold the hammer in negotiations and say, like, this is where we're at. This is what we can offer you. It might not be what you're looking for, but... Uh, you are kind of expendable to this group because we feel that we can go and find alternate solutions. Yeah. I don't. You think were an alternate solution, Zadorov. If you were, if you were to ask me right now, I don't think they're si- they're signing him because I think he will be able to find what he's looking for on the market. Yeah, I don't know. Like I, you're enamored with the the package. There's got to be a better way to say that. <laughs> you're enamored with the package. Yeah, because like you said, he's big. He's, he's physical, tough. he'll fight. I think his teammates really like him. And then from the sort of like entertainment perspective, which shouldn't come well, into I, it, but what the hell. I heard I heard his Flames teammates weren't all that um yeah, but, sad to see him go. Yeah, because he was ripping be- on beacon them. off at them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, from our perspective, like I think he's I actually think that the entertainment value of Nikita Zadorov means something from our perspective. He's fun to watch. And sometimes it can be uh, fun that's the terrifying, like, roller coaster kind of fun. Mm-hmm. You know, like, ah, oh, he's going for a skate. And if he loses the puck, the Canucks are in real trouble here. But, like, the fight against Liam O'Brien, like, that was great, right? Yeah. Someone yeah. had to jump in there right away. Mm-hmm. And Zadorov was like, I'm the guy for this. Right. And then he proceeded to pound the guy into oblivion, right? Yeah. You see, Liam O'Brien was up to his antics last night, too. Yeah, there was a fight right off the face-off. There was multiple fights in front in of all game. fifteen I, fans that were in their seats for yeah. the Panthers game. And they, they had a good long chat about that prior to puck drop too. Like this is how this is going to go. We are going to fight. So I guess yeah. Like how many of the Panthers fans in attendance knew the backstory to that, which was the um, it was a Zucker hit on was, yes. Cousins. Yeah, and Cousins is still out with or? a concussion. I think. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to put piece it all together. Yeah, you know, it I was, didn't. It was, it was it was Zucker's hit on. Cousins, mm-hmm. 
after Cousins had done something too. You know, like you don't blame us. It's hard to keep tabs on everything. The Arizona-Florida rivalry is pretty low on the list. <laughs> and like the ongoings of Liam O'Brien when he's not doing stuff to the Canucks. Anyway, let's dive back into the Dunbar-Lumber text line here, 650-650. A reminder, if you want to weigh in with what we learned, we're going to do those uh, at 830. It's your chance to be on the radio. Hashtag it, WWL. If you want to weigh in on anything that happened in the world of sports or the Canucks-Blues game last night, uh, do it now. Dunbar-Lumber text line, 650. 650. Uh, why? Here's an unsigned text. Why isn't anyone talking about Brock? He's been in, invisible except for bad passes for the last 10 games. I don't know. I don't I, I, I kind of disagree with that. He got to the front of the net and tipped uh, tipped one that created a rebound uh, for Pew Suter last night. He had a chance um, to score and hooked a, hooked a shot wide. I mean, you, if you want to complain about him not burying that, that's fine. I don't think he's been invisible. I think the, yeah, I, I think don't. the lotto line. I think those three have just they had a really good run for a bit, and now they're struggling because the magic went away, and now they're kind of getting shuffled back into what it was before. Um, the guy I'm worried about now is Pedersen. Like that, that is the guy I'm watching right now because we thought maybe that when he went to the lotto line, okay, look, he's got quality players to play with. Not that McKayev and Kuzmenko aren't quality, but they're not Miller and Besser. And the way they looked for a few of those games on the road trip, we were like, oh my God, like they've rediscovered the magic. And even Tockett, who, but they had, did. Been, who had been, who had been loath to put that line together, was sitting there like, oh, you guys will kill me if I if I break up this line. Um, he did break up that line last night, and some people had a problem with that. Why would you miss with mess with a with a winning lineup? But they weren't playing well, so I had no issue with Tockett's decision to break up the lotto line. But it presents the exact same problem that we had before. Are you going to get enough out of Petey playing with Mikheyev and Kuzmenko? And I think the answer is no, which is why I think the number one thing the Canucks will be targeting is a winger to play with Pedersen. Yeah. I have the argument that you bring in a center, whether it's Elias Lindholm or Adam Henrique, and you keep the lotto line together. But if this is the way the lotto line is going to play, then I'd much prefer go out and get a quality winger, which might in theory be cheaper, although unless it's Gensel, to try and get something out of Pedersen because Pedersen is so amazingly skilled, and most of it's on Petey to do it. Mm-hmm. But I just don't think Mikheyev and Kuzmenko is enough to give a player like Petey. I think sometimes we – give me a minute here because I want to expand this off the text about uh, Besser. There should be no complaints about what Brock Besser has done this year. Brock Besser is tied for eighth in the league with 27 goals. He's had an amazing bounce back year, but he's still Brock Besser, right? Like we all need to remember this. He's playing great and it might be the best hockey of his career, but he's not a guy that's going to, and I'm sorry to say this, but he's not a guy that's going to go out and dominate proceedings for 82 games of a regular season. He doesn't drive a line. He's not that guy. So don't expect it. Now with Pedersen, The reason that some people expect it on a nightly basis is because, one, he's got uh, such a high ceiling in terms of skill, and two, the looming contract extension, many people believe, will put him in a payday stratosphere 
with guys that can do that. Mm-hmm. And what we're talking about are rarefied air. McDavid, McKinnon. I'd put Kucherov in that conversation now with his production. Yeah. Uh, and I would kind of start to put Austin Matthews in there despite the, the lack of postseason success. Oh, definitely Austin Matthews. But there's one not of the, the greatest but there's, goal but, scorers ever. But there's not the postseason success, right? Sure. What I'm saying. Okay. Uh, not that there is with like McDavid. Um, but he but that's the thing. When we talk about generational talents or elite talents or the best of the best, and it sounds super cliched, but it's like if you're gonna buy tickets to any game of the year and that player is in it, you're going and you're gonna assume that that guy's gonna put on a show. Mm. That he is going to be a difference maker, like what McKinnon did last night. Right, four goals again, and, and McKinnon does that. I mean, you watch McKinnon play, and you're like, that guy's kind of built different. McDavid's the same thing, right? Yeah. So when Pedersen has this stretch of games where his coach comes out and he's like, I haven't liked the way that he's played, that's where these conversations come from. Like, mm-hmm. I, you cannot say that Elias Pedersen has not had a good season. He's had a fantastic season. You can't play the, can't say that he hasn't played well in January. He's it up. He's going to have another hundred point campaign. But there is that difference between the very good and then the elite. And that's why you can't throw around generational talent and superstar cavalierly. Cavalierly. Yeah. Because it's, it should be reserved for a handful of people. And those paydays should be reserved for a handful of people. To, to say, oh, or why aren't we talking about Besser? Look, Besser's having a great year. And if Besser has a few games where you consider him invisible, that's normal. Because it's Brock Besser. End of sentence. Um, here's another text. Longtime listener, first time texter. I enjoy your show every day on my commute from Courtney to Campbell River. I'm sorry I missed the beginning of the show, so I have to go to the podcast. That PD non call is a playoff non call that PD needs to learn to get used to. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a non call a lot in the regular season. It was even non call last even, night, <laughs> even if it's not overtime. Um, one of Petey's, if you want to, you know, critique Petey is he does get pushed down a lot and he's admitted he's, it's not like he's like, he was on the witness stand or anything. He said like one of the things he was trying to do in off season training was get stronger. So he wouldn't fall down so much. So, but half the time I'm wondering, are you, did you just get shoved down? Like last night, did you just get shoved down or, or did you help that along a little bit? in hopes of drawing a penalty because part of his game is drawing penalties. Um, so, you know, I think we all have a lot of questions about the Canucks up front, whether or not they're built for playoff style hockey. Like, do they have enough strength and size and grit to really take it to really, to really um, thrive in the playoffs because we often see the teams that are big and strong and not just on the back end have success in the playoffs. So I love a guy like uh, JT Miller. I think he'll be good in the playoffs and a guy like um, uh, Dakota Joshua. And even though Garland's not big, I know his work rate is going to be good in the playoffs. I'm convinced he'll be fine, but you know, I, I obviously wonder about Kuzmenko. Um, I don't think he's going to be on the team for the playoffs, but he might be if the Canucks aren't able to land a deal. You bring up a good I, point I wonder. I wonder about Petey. I wonder, you know, 
about if suitors in, in the top six, that, that sort of thing. Like, do they have enough jam? Do they have enough grit? Because one of the things that Tockett has been so successful in coaching with the Canucks is like, you got to fight for every inch of the ice. You got to win puck battles and you got to find ways to come up with pucks. And the Canucks have done a great job of that during the regular season. It is twice as hard in the playoffs. It is, it is the intensity level just goes through the roof. And people often say, well, why don't they always play like that? It would be physically impossible. Yeah. to play like that every night. But there is just an added intensity that the Canucks are going to find out. And there are guys on the team that have been involved in these games. So it's not like they're going to be like, I don't know what to expect at all. But I do wonder sometimes, I look at the Canucks up front and you see a player like like you, you brought up McKinnon. Like he is a force. Yep. He is powerful. He's not only fast and talented, but he is an absolute force. Like if he was skating at you, can you imagine that? You'd be like, oh my God, like I hope this guy doesn't run me over. Do the guys, do the Canucks have enough of those types of players? Here's the thing. You know why I think they're actually going to be built for the playoffs is because the third and fourth lines are so effective, especially that third line. So when Edmonton lost to Vegas last year, do you remember what the difference ended up being in that series? It was after Stone and Eichel kind of threw a blanket over McKinnon, or sorry, uh, Dreisaitl and McDavid because they were able to saw him off. Like, Stone's such a good defensive player. He was able to neutralize a lot, and Eichel held up his end of the bargain. And everyone said the Vegas Golden Knights have the best fourth line in the NHL. It was Colasar, and it was Nicholas yeah. Waugh, and it was Will Carrier. Or Carrier or whatever, yeah. but they Nick, were Nick was a very underrated player, like perfect type of player for your bottom six in the playoffs. So the thought was, well, if they're sawing us off in the top six, can we win the battle of our bottom six? And Edmonton's bottom six was invisible; they didn't do anything. Yeah, and they kind of got played off the ice. That th- you know, it's funny to say this, but like that third line of the Canucks is so dynamic, and if you match them up against other teams' third lines through fifty games this year, they've been way better. Mm-hmm. than everybody else. Yeah. And they've got the kind of guys that I think could thrive in the postseason. Because as you mentioned, like Joshua is big and physical, likes to get on the forecheck, and Garland's a puck hound. Yeah. And uh, they play the type of hockey that in the postseason you need to play. Aside from the fact that they can do all the sort of little things and intangibles, they score. Yeah. They've got good offensive upside. So I actually think that they're built pretty well in a playoff matchup. If the big guns get gun shy or go hiding, or can at least saw it off with the other teams, and then guns. look, yeah, and that's a credit to Talkit for finding a line that's got identity. It's not just a third line of, and, and at the at the start, I'm like, that's just a third line that's thrown mm-hmm. together. You're telling me that Garland and Joshua are going to match? You know, I just I just think they need a winger for Petey. Well, they do, <laughs> like, right? Like that, they do. That's, I, I, I think that's that what do. they're going to search for. But I also think they're going to get one. Now, oh, I, I think they're going to get one. Yeah, too, like yeah. I don't. Yeah, I mean, no, like, they will. They I mean, will. we're all hoping for Gensel. And we might end up with, like, a Vetrano, but that's okay. You're enamored with the package. The big, big package. That's what I said. I cannot take it back. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Halford, no! no. <laughs> a sweet, sweet can. Play it one more time. One more time. <laughs> You're enamored with the package. The big, big package. Just saying what we're all thinking. I can't take it back. It's out there now. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.